Welcome to the Crossing Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for listening. We're glad you've connected with us. Our hope is that God speaks to your heart in a new way through this message. If you're new to the Crossing Church, please feel free to reach out to us by visiting our contact page or by paying us a visit. We would love to meet you. This week's sermon podcast begins in three, two, one. Well, we begin this new series entitled uh, Lost this, this morning, and basically we're going to ask the question, where are we? Where, where, where are you? Where am I? Where, where are we going with this whole area? Uh, and let, let me start off by asking a question. Have you ever been lost? You've been lost, right? Everybody, you, whether you're a kid or whatever, you know what? I have. Uh, everybody's been lost at some point in their life. Camping, driving in a strange city, hiking on a road. I said a number of times before, those of you who are kind of regulars here know that I am really bad with directions. And I know, I know, I feel a little better because it doesn't have anything to do with intelligence because my daughter was telling me just recently, my oldest daughter, who's, you know, I think she's a fairly bright girl. She's the same way as me. You know, put us anywhere, turn us around three or four times, we don't know what state we're in. I mean, a lot of times. And so, so I feel a little better about that. But I, I'm really bad with directions. Again, greatest invention in history, the GPS, the, you know, is the greatest invention as far as I'm concerned. And I've gotten lost in the car. I've gotten lost out of the car. I've gotten lost in parking garages. I'm okay now. What I do is I get out in a parking garage, and I, I'm very, especially when I'm with, like, Marianne, I don't even think. I figure she's going to remember, and I don't, I don't think. But when I'm by myself, I get out. I look. Okay, green, three. Uh, it's by a pillar. I usually park by a pillar or by, you know, okay, I went, I went about 50 cars and the elevator was to my left, so it's going to be to my right when I come out of the elevator. And I think about that and I do pretty good like that now. Um, sometimes, though, I've gotten lost in parking lots, you know, open-air parking lots. And it's a very unsettling uh, feeling. I remember uh, not that long ago I was in Willowbrook Mall and uh, I remember where I parked. And then I went out and I couldn't find the car. And you know how it goes. You search for a minute. You say to yourself, well, it's the next aisle. It's just it's one section over. So then, you know, I don't know whether it happens in two minutes or three minutes, but you start to, you start to panic a little bit. And it's really funny because the longer you go and not finding the car, the quicker your pace gets to where I found myself. I was kind of slowly jogging after about three minutes and saying, and then I was positive uh, by that point, that the car was stolen. Obviously, this car was stolen, and it's gone, and somebody's laughing right now at my expense. And, you know, and then, you know, what I, what I did, though, uh, I, I, you know, you got the key fob, and I don't have, they used to have the panic button. I don't know if you have a panic button in the key fob. They don't have them, the newer cars don't seem to have them anymore. But my car didn't, and when the key fob worked, uh, it doesn't work anymore. But I, I held it up, and um, you know how you could open and close the door? So, when, you, when your car unlocks, there's a sound. There's a distinct sound. You know, you, you can hear the clicking. So I started doing that, and the, and the lights kind of blink, so I started doing that and looking around. You know, I'm going through the part. Now, all pretense that I'm not lost with people who may be sitting in their cars waiting for somebody. They know this guy's been down this aisle three times already. And I'm doing this, and I'm embarrassed, but at this point, I just want to find the car. So I went up and down. Then I realized... You know, I, I, I'm, I'm unlocking the car for somebody. And then, and then I had the great bright idea to pop the trunk. And then I remembered after I hit the, the button to pop the trunk, my trunk doesn't pop open. It just goes open about two inches. So now I'm saying, 
there's probably a thief who is walking by my car at that exact moment, and he sees the trunk pop open, and now he's making out with everything I, you know, that was in my, my trunk, and, and there he goes down the road. Well, I did find out that I was an entire big section around the other side of the gap. You know, it wasn't on this side that I usually park on. It was on the other side, and I did, you know, find it. But i got to tell you something. It's a very, very unsettling feeling when you are lost in the middle of a parking lot, isn't it? If you've ever been lost before. In fact, it's a very unsettling feeling when you're lost, period. But when you finally figure things out, there's this great sense of... It's almost a euphoric sense. It's like, it's not stolen. I don't have to call the cops. I don't have to go through that. It's like, you know, oh my goodness, it's so great. Now, as we begin this series, you need to understand something. Andy Stanley once wrote, he said, there is a big difference between getting lost and being lost. There's a big difference between getting lost and being lost. When you're getting lost, here's the thing, you don't know you're getting lost. See, when I walk out of the mall, Willowbrook Mall, and I'm looking for my car, I don't think I'm lost. In fact, you know, I'm heading down the aisle, and I'm perfectly assured in my mind that, you know, i got to go down here about 50 yards, and then my car's going to be sitting right there. I don't, I don't know that I've gone down a, an entire wrong section. I've made, I've made this gigantic mistake. I don't even realize it. You know, I'm getting lost, but with the utmost confidence, with the utmost assurity, I think I know exactly where I need to go and where I'm going. See, but I'm, I'm getting lost, but I don't realize it. Well, you are, when you are getting lost, you never even realize it until you see that sign, thank you for visiting New Jersey, come back soon. I said, what? I don't want to go to New York. You're going to get on the bridge. You've got to pay all the money on the bridge now. You know, you, 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 go, you go crazy, you know? Now, here's a couple of things that I want you to remember. There's three things I want you to remember. Number one, when you are in the process of getting lost, okay, you don't know it. You don't know you're getting lost when you're in the process of getting lost. But then all of a sudden, you're lost. Most of the time, as I said, you don't know you're lost, but all of a sudden, you, you go off, and something happens. You know, you, you see the same guy sitting on the corner, and you're going, wait a minute, why is he, is he moving around town or something? Or, you know, and you realize you've been going in circles, you know? Now, there are a few things that have contributed to my getting lost in the past. On occasion, I've had bad directions for my GPS. I still have the little thing that, you know, you wet, the back, the suction, the whole thing. But anyway, sometimes my GPS is giving me wrong directions. And it does it at the worst times, like in New York City, when I have to know how to get to the tunnel, and it sends me down the wrong street. And now you go, well, there's 40 minutes. You just pay it there. You you see the sign, you know, the tunnel's over here. It, It has done that on occasion. Not that often, but when it does it, it's like you go out of your mind. Sometimes my GPS has just given me wrong streets, wrong directions, and sometimes I've gotten lost because of bad directions. Other times I've had good directions, but I've gotten distracted. I have a tendency sometimes to sing in the car, you know, and there's been times where I actually was singing, it was really, really good tunes on, and all of a sudden I go, ah! And, you know, you realize you just, you just passed it. Or you get in the left lane, and you can't get into the right lane because they're not going to let you in under any circumstances, you know, these guys. Or, you know, when we were younger uh, and the kids were small, you know, yelling at the kids in the back seat, you know, like, get, sit over there, get you separate. And then all of a sudden you go, you realize you got distracted. That happens, that has happened to me. That's happened many times. And then you say, well, now where do I go? Most of the time when we get lost, we start out knowing where we are, And we are very confident in the fact that we know how to get where we need to get and where we want to get. 
But in, in spite of all that assurance and all that confidence, sometimes we get lost anyway. Remember this. Self-assurance and confidence is no insurance against getting lost in life. Anybody who's ever gotten lost has started off with confidence and self-assurance and thought that they would have very little problem in getting to where they needed and where they wanted to go. Everybody who has ever gotten lost started off confident, started off full of assurance that they would get to where they wanted to be. When you are lost or in the process of getting lost, you don't know you're getting lost. We need to remember that. Second thing we need to remember, you can't get lost, or you can get lost, excuse me, in almost any arena of life. You can get lost in almost any area of life. People think that since they're self-assured and they're confident that they won't get lost, but they do. I've known a lot of people who have gotten lost morally. People who have said to me, Pastor Tim, you know, when I was young, I had standards and convictions about dating, about relationships, who I would marry, who I would not marry, and, you know, how I would act on a date, this, that, the other thing. I had such confidence that I would never get lost, but I did, and now I don't know how to get back. I don't know how to get back. I, I don't know if it was bad directions. I don't know the exact place where I made the wrong turn. I don't know if I just got plain distracted but I know I'm lost. This is not the preferred future that I had envisioned. You can get lost professionally. You know, you choose the right major after switching twice in college. You know, you're only a year and a half late in graduation. You study hard. You end up with a good job, but all of a sudden you get into this company and there's compromises. Almost instantaneously, there's some compromises along the way and things that have to slip through the cracks if you're going to make numbers and this and that and make your boss happy. And all of a sudden you sit one day and you go, how did I get here? How in the world did I ever get here? I, I, I don't want to be here, but I don't know how to get back. Spiritually, you get lost. You were once warm to the things of God. If you were honest right now, Maybe you're just going through the motions. Maybe, maybe that's all it is. Relationally, you're a young adult. You, you know, you've been in one relationship after another, and you finally see that you're in this pattern that you never wanted to be in. Maybe your marriage is lost. You, know, you say, we didn't start out this way. This isn't where we wanted to be. But we don't, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to get back. Every one of those journeys began with a sense of self-confidence. It began with a sense of assurance. But you know what? There's no guarantee just because you're self-confident and self-assured that you're not going to get lost. And many of us have. Now, we want to talk over the next few weeks uh, about getting lost in the area of finances and money. And I want to do this because when you were lost in that area... It affects all the other areas that I just mentioned, and we're going to see why. Perhaps that's why the Bible talks about money and finances so much. It has so much to say about these subjects. The fact of the matter is this, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to make a statement, and I think it's true. I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's true. I, I think that most Americans are lost when it comes to personal finances, most could say, I really don't ex know exactly where I am. I really don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know if I'm moving in the right direction or not. 
And if that's the case, they are in the process of getting lost if they're not lost already, even if they don't know it. Even if they don't know it. And the interesting thing about all this is that of all the areas of life, our personal finances should be the easiest area to not get lost in. Why? Because unlike your love life, there's lots of intangible, you know, mystery. Unlike, unlike your professional life, where a lot of times it depends on your boss, it depends on where the, the business comes in, there's, there's so many things out of your control. Unlike your emotions that are, well, emotionally driven, you know, our money should be one area where there's absolutely no mystery because there are two major knowns. You know what the knowns are? We know what's coming in. And we know where it's going. We send it wherever it has to go. We order our money around. Unless you're in a business that is totally commission-driven or seasonal, and I know some of us are, something like that, you basically know what's coming in every two weeks. You're down to the penny. You, you, you know. And, and on the other end, you send it out. You know, go pay the mortgage. Go buy some groceries, you know, buy me a cup of coffee, give her her allowance, go pay a bill. We should have a handle on this, but a lot of times we don't, and it leads to being lost. And unlike relational lostness and business lostness and moral lostness, we're working with numbers. See, numbers are like gravity. You know, if I drop something, I know where it's going. 100% of the time, I know where it's going, unless I'm out in space. It's going straight down. We're working with numbers. You can't fudge numbers. You can fudge numbers for, for the books, but not for yourself, not personally. You know what's happening. When you are in the process of getting lost, a lot of times you don't know you're getting lost. You can get lost in almost any arena of life, and here's something else. It has nothing to do with how much money you make. It has absolutely nothing to do with how much money you make. You could be lost with a little bit of money, or you could be lost with a lot of money. In fact, sometimes with increased finances, it causes increased lostness. You ever sat down and said to yourself, you know, I make a pretty good salary. Where, does it get, where did it go? Where, where is this going? You know, you ever look at your spouse and say, what, what is going on? I remember when we first moved back to New Jersey from the Midwest in 1987, I was making $7 an hour, and I had, we had a child. $7 an hour. I was paying $650 a month in rent for a small apartment in West Orange. Well, you figure it out. All right? you, you figure out those numbers. I mean, again, numbers don't lie. And I remember, you know, how hard it was. It was, like, just really, really difficult. And I remember saying, I remember saying to Marianne one time, if I could just make $10 an hour, oh, man, things would be, things would be great. Things would be fine. I'd have no worries. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I was making $10 an hour. And I realized, we're, we're no better off. We're, we're, we're exactly the same spot, exactly the same spot as we were before. You know, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't think I'm lost. Am I lost? Maybe I'm lost. You know, and you, you know, maybe somebody, if you've gotten anything in your, your side, any kind of elbow in the last few minutes, uh, somebody, maybe somebody's trying to tell you something, but don't listen to them. Listen to yourself. If you're still trying to figure out if you're lost, let me try to help you out, okay? How do you know if you're lost? Well, you know you're lost if you spend more than you make in a year. If you do, you're lost. If you don't care that you spend more money than you make in a year, you're lost. If you owe more on your car than your car is worth, you know what? Yeah, you're lost. If you don't know how much you owe on the credit card, 
you're lost. If you think paying the minimum on your credit card is good financial planning, you are lost. If you don't know how much money you owe, you're lost. If you have no way of knowing where your money goes, no way, you're lost. If you are forever saying things like, one day, someday, maybe, you're lost. If you're making financial decisions that you hope and pray that your spouse will never discover, you're lost. And worse, if you're making financial decisions you hope the IRS will never discover, you are lost. Ask yourself, ask yourself questions like this. How did I get into this debt? Why am I never content with what I have? Why am I always driven to buy bigger shinier, larger, newer. I thought this was the last one I would ever need, I would ever purchase, I would ever lease. Why is it at times I feel so generous and want to give to something I believe in, but when the time comes to write the check, something inside me holds me back? Where's it all going? How is it that I can make so much money and still feel so much financial pressure? Why is it that I used to make so much money and never saved any of it? And if you're lost, the chances are good that you're not sure how you got lost and you're not sure how to get back to where you want to be. That's the very definition of being lost. Why this study? Well, it strikes me that some people are going to say, you know, he started off pretty good, you know, he's talking about marriage and this and that and, you know, dating and that and that. And I get it, but, you know, I'm a little offended by the, the money aspect of this. You know what, money, church, God, you know, we've had enough of that. We came from a place that talked about that and did that and stuff like that. Folks, I've got to tell you something right now. Why, why the study? Here's why the study. And I'm 100% sure about this. You cannot be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ and remain lost financially. It's impossible. Why? You know why? Because the Bible says too much about it. The Bible says so much about our finances and about money. It's impossible not to talk about both those things. You know, it's like saying, I love Jesus, but I hate this guy. I will never even be open to God doing something special and reconstituting that relationship or anything. You can't be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Say, I love you, Lord. Please bless my kids and have no intention of ever finding your way financially. Why? Because the Bible says too much about it. Just too much. If you took everything that Jesus said about salvation, about heaven, about hell, and you added it all together, all the verses, they would still trail what he had to say about finances and money. Now, one of the key concepts in this whole discussion, in my mind, years ago, was formulated when I looked at a verse and started looking at it and dissecting it deeply for the very first time. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. And, and, it, and Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, for where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. It's a basic biblical concept. There are basic biblical concepts. This is one of those basic biblical concepts. It's like, you know, birds fly south in a winter. The sun comes up in the morning, except for mornings like this, but it's a basic truth. Wherever we send out money, our attention will follow after it. Our heart 
follows. Remember Deep Throat in Watergate? It was, it was that shadowy figure that, you know, was, was supposedly knew where, you know, what was going on in Watergate. And I remember, you know, Bob Woodward from the Washington Post met with him. And, and this guy said, you want to find out where, where this leads, where this whole scandal leads? What do you say? Follow the money. Follow the money. Yeah. That's, you know what? That's right. Follow the money. Because once you follow the money, you're going to find out a whole lot of stuff. You'll find out basically everything you need to know. If you follow the money, our hearts follow after the money. If you buy a stock, all of a sudden you're suddenly interested in that stock. You have an emotional investment in that stock. Instantaneously, you memorize those three or four little letters that represent your stock, and you check your computer 500 times a week, right? Jesus is saying, if you are out of whack in this realm of personal finances, then how in the world do you think you can ever give me your whole heart? How in the world do you think that you can follow me if your personal finances are out of sorts and you have no intention of getting things right? You can't follow me fully if your personal finances are out of whack. Now, I want to see how much you pay attention. Okay? So don't call out the answer. If you call out the answer, i got two big burly guys in the back. They're going to escort you out of the building. All right? Ready? Um, I'm going to read a verse, and it was read before, but let's see if you really got it. Because Now, some of you have heard this verse many, many times before, and you know the answer like that. Some people have never seen the verse before. I, I know that. Well, let's look at it. It's Luke 16, 13. It says this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and... Don't say it! We read it before. Some of you are just, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I, I do that too sometimes. I do that too, so don't worry. No. Now, you would think, if you've never seen this verse before, you would think that the fill in the blank, you know, uh, you will hate the one and love the other, or he will, or he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, well, the devil. It's got to be, that's got to be the answer, right? You can't serve, well, opposites, obviously. You can't serve God and the devil, or you can't serve God and the world. But let's read it together. Let's read it together. Ready? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The answer is money. Do you know what Jesus was saying here? He was saying that your heart and your money are linked. When one goes... So goes the other. Jesus understood this. He understood that the number one competition that he has for your heart is your stuff. The number one competitor is not some body. It's something. Put a plural on that. It's our money. It's our stuff. That's why he spoke so much about it. If you're going to follow me, you cannot be lost in this area you got to surrender to me because you cannot wholeheartedly follow Jesus Christ and remain lost financially because he said too much about money. He just said too much about it. When someone starts repeating themselves again and again and again, you go, all right, all right, it's important to you. I get it. That was Jesus. And it all boils down, as I looked at it and I was thinking about it this week, it all boils down to a single word, which we're going to talk about a lot more about next week. It all boils down to a single four-syllable word which has caused you and has caused me so much grief over the years. It's the genesis of our financial lostness. It threatens to do the same to your kids. 
I'm going to tell you. In fact, it's doing evil in their hearts and minds right now. You know what the word is? The word is discontentment. Discontentment. This not content, satisfied, meant, I don't know, I think it means, you know, established or institutional. It's, it's basically what, what that word means. It means you can't find satisfaction with what you already have, what you already possess. You're discontented. There is, there's no contentment in your heart. Now, how, how many of us, and this is rhetorical, don't, don't raise your hands, how many of us have been discontent with what we have? And you know, i got to tell you something. Uh, it gets worse as the culture gets richer. It's part of the Western world in which we live. You, we've all done this. I've used this illustration before. You go into Costco, you're going to buy five things, and then all of a sudden you're walking out with 50 things, and you realize, you know, I should have patented that because now I see it. It's on the shelf here, and I, I always thought everybody needed that, and I need that. And so you're walking out with this thing, which you didn't even know you needed, but now you, you absolutely positively need, and you walk out, and you're paying money for this, that, and the other thing. It's very, very common. We constantly are looking at things that all of a sudden we need, we must have. Got to have it, got to have it. Okay? But don't forget, if you're lost and you have absolutely no intention of, of trying to find your way back, what? You can't be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. You can't follow me, Jesus says, if your personal finances are out of whack. Now, i, I, I got to do something. Let me do something right now. There's something about... I've mentioned this many times before. There's something about this culture which is absolutely uh, debilitating. The social media, the radio, the television, uh, I don't know if we realize, I was trying to do some, some statistical analysis, but wasn't able to get what I wanted. But, but I, I, I did enough to know that we are bombarded literally dozens and dozens and dozens of times a day. I, I'm going to say maybe hundreds, depending on how much social media and stuff, bombarded with things that you didn't know you needed. But, but, but now you think you need it, and our resistance gets torn down. Uh, you know, you look at somebody, and you look at them, and you, they have it, and you, I work hard, and why can't I have it? They have, I have a four, they have a six. I mean, what, what is that about? I gotta, I gotta have the six. I mean, what, that's ridiculous. And discontentment is, this culture stirs discontentment within in us. We compare ourselves all the time. But when we compare ourselves, let me ask you this. If, you, if you're comparing yourself with pe people, do you compare yourself with the typical citizen of Malawi or Upper Montclair? Which, who, who really are you comparing yourself to? You're comparing yourself with people who are above you. I remember when our kids, one of the biggest challenges we had with our kids attending public school in North Caldwell in junior and senior high was that many of the families were really pretty well situated, and our kids observed up close and personal how they lived and how it bred discontentment in them. It, it really did. When, when my daughter's friends said they were going to spend Easter holiday uh, for a week at the beach, that didn't mean Wildwood. They meant Jamaica, and they, they're going for five days, you know, and that, that was very, very common. And I, I should have realized something was up early on when I remember taking, you know, our oldest into the uh, junior high parking lot and lonely some kids getting out in the senior high parking lot who were all driving cars that were better than mine. And I'm going, is that daddy's car or is that their car? And, and, and I find out later when they grew up and that a lot of them, it, it was their cars. And, and we end up lying to ourselves. We say, well, you know, I'm not poor, but we don't live like so-and-so with this whole comparative game thing. You know, our lifestyle is modest compared to theirs. 
couple of years ago, the Pew Research Center did a study. Do you know how many Americans uh, identified themselves as upper class? Upper class. Do you consider yourself upper class? Do you know how many Americans? 2%. 2% considered themselves upper class. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think that the typical citizen of Port-au-Prince, Haiti, thinks that two out of every 100 American citizens are upper class? I think it's probably higher, a lot higher. And if you analyze it, you realize that we're somewhat, we're a little insane. You know, we're just insane. The problem with discontentment is that at its core, it's an appetite. It's an appetite that is never finally and fully satisfied. It's like Thanksgiving. You eat Thanksgiving, you know, you have your second, third dessert. You have this, that, the whole table. It's like, and you go, I'm not eating for at least two days. I'm not eating. And then that night, your nose is sticking in the refrigerator. You're lifting stuff up. You're grabbing a leg of this or that and, and, and more dessert, something like that. It's just, that's just the way it is. We live in a culture where every single day of our lives, we see how far behind we are. And stuff that we don't have, and we're constantly bombarded with how out of style and how out of style and old ours is. Like any appetite, it's never fully satisfied. Appetites, listen, by nature are never fully satisfied. And we have the blessing to live in a culture where we constantly see stuff that we don't have. At the checkout counter, we look at faces on magazines and realize how ordinary looking we are. And here's what we all learned. Satisfying appetites do not make them go away. Like any appetite, the more you feed it, guess what? The more it grows. The more you weigh, the more you eat. You would think that someone who's larger would not need to eat a lot of food. That's, that's not true. Just the opposite is true. Uh, uh, when, when, when we were single, we were trying to, you know, kind of trying to live moral lives and for the Lord and stuff. And, and uh, you know, we would talk and, you know, guys were honest with each other. We'd say, you know what? This is really hard, this whole, you know, sex thing. And, and, you know, if we could have sex just one time, I think, you know, we, we, we could make it to if we, you know, get married and stuff like that. But then married guys who were newly married and other guys who had crossed the line many, many times and had left that behind and, you know, they, they didn't care anymore, they would say, you must be kidding. You must be joking. That doesn't satisfy the appetite. It intensifies it. It wakes it up. If you think you're strong... Just wait. When you feed an appetite, you know what it does? It grows. It's the same thing with stuff. It's the same principle. The more you have, the more you want. We have an appetite that is never fully satisfied, and we live in a culture that constantly makes us aware of what we don't have. We know how it happens. I said television, magazines, friends. That's how it happens. Someone said, and I've said before, if you ever ask, a, you interview a fish about being a fish, the one thing they wouldn't mention is that they swim in water. Why? Well, everybody here swims in water. It's just, it's, it's, it's just self-evident. It's the same thing with our stuff, the same exact thing. That's why I say this whole thing, this whole finances, this whole money, this whole thing, it's a heart issue. It goes much deeper than, uh, you know, your, your pocketbook. Because Jesus wasn't interested in capturing our money. He never was. That's not why he talked about it. He was interested in capturing our hearts. And our hearts are linked to our money and our personal finances. We need to know this. In the whole New Testament, there's one time, one time, when Jesus asked somebody for money. And you know why he wanted it? Because he wanted to use the coin as an illustration. 
you know, give to Caesar what's Caesar, you know. Uh, I don't think he put it in his pocket then. I think he gave it back. Maybe that's how he supported himself. He just did that illustration all over town and then put the thing. But I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Uh, that's, that's the only time in the New Testament that, that, that he ever asked someone for money. He wasn't interested in getting people's money. He was trying to keep people's money from getting them. The reason Jesus said so much about people's money in the Bible is not because he wants their money, he wants our money, but because he wants to keep our money from getting us. And everybody knows that when our personal finances and our debt gets to a certain point and it starts to kill us, it has us. Very few things are right with the world when our finances are a disaster. Money is, listen, money is a spiritual issue. God says, I want to untangle you from all of that. Now listen to this verse. Listen to this verse. First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles 29, 11 says this. Yours, oh, listen to it closely. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the mystery and the splendor. Why would he say that? For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. You know what he's saying? God owns how much? Everything. He owns everything. All the stuff we worry about, he owns it all. We just manage it. We're managers of his stuff. How we handle his stuff is a spiritual issue. What happens if you, imagine this, I mean, you woke up one day and uh, through a series of cataclysmic events, life-changing events, you lost everything. You thought you were fully insured, but all of a sudden you realize, you know what, well, you know, I haven't really, oh, I forgot to pay that. And this, the, you know, uh, oh, you realize, you know what, basically, you're up the creek, literally. I mean, you, you have lost it all, uh, you, or a significant part of your assets. Uh, wouldn't I know what would happen at first. You'd be shocked. You'd be dismayed. You'd be freaking out. But after, let's just assume that the smoke settles and you start to gather your equilibrium about you again and you sit down. You probably, as a Christian, would pray something like this. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, provide for me. Oh, God, I want to surrender everything to you. Probably what God would say would be, you don't have anything. You just, you, you, you have nothing. Which we would probably say, that's why I'm doing it. You know, I'm at the point now where I really can do that because I really don't have anything that, you know, it's, it, I have no skin in the game anymore. I just want to give you all my needs, all my death, all the consequences of my bad financial decisions, and I want to give it to you as a sacrifice of praise, oh God. And I'm sure God would say, well, thanks, you know, th thanks, thanks, thanks for that. Why didn't you do that when things were good? Well, because things were good. That's why we didn't do it. But listen, Lord, let's not get bogged down in, in stuff like that. I, I, I want you as part of my treasure life right now. Would you, you know, could you, could you do that? Here's the question. Why not ask him to do that right now? Why not ask him to do that right now? If you are lost in the realm of stuff, it is impossible to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. But when you are willing to let God begin to order your financial world, 
something inside of you begins to change almost immediately because your heart and your money are linked. Folks, you cannot wholeheartedly follow Jesus Christ and remain lost financially. Like Jesus, I need to preach about this, not because I want something from you. I want something for you. I really, really do. We need to say, you know, we as a family, we as a church family, we as individuals, surrender everything to him. Surrender everything to Jesus Christ. We, we want to love God more fully. We may have given him our marriage and our careers and our business and our kids, but you know what? Now we need to give him our finances. It is usually, I have found, the last area that we finally and forever give over to Jesus. It's the last area. Why do we do these series of messages? Why? Because we need to start seeing God working in a big way in our lives. We need to start seeing his faithfulness. Many times uh, there are very, very tangible results in this area very, very quickly. It's not like, well, it took me 20 years to make this mess, and I'm going to have to wait 20 minutes to untangle, 20 years to untangle. That, that is not, I have found that that is not the case. That God somehow, you know, Joel chapter 2, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I love that verse. Because basically what God was saying was, look, uh, you've been disobedient, 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 years and years and years and years, years. Finally, you know, there's disaster. But you know what? You're not going to have it this year, but the following year, everything's gonna, you're going to start seeing restoration. And, and it's, it's like the time element in there has always blown me away, that time element where God will give back and will re-gift you know, uh, things he had already given to us in a much quicker way than we could ever imagine. So, you know what? D don't, don't be discouraged, if, even if you're later down in life or down the road. Remember that there's an undeniable link with your finances in your heart. And when our hearts begin to change towards him, he began to work in ways that he hasn't up till now. A couple things. We need to be free to listen to God speaking to you as I sum up right now this first message. Um, you know, maybe God's saying to you, go back to school. Support this ministry. Start this ministry. Take a week off, like we're, we're hoping to do uh, in the fall, and do a short-term mission trip to Guatemala. You know, I, I want you to do that. But see, if you're so tied and you're so buried and you, you, you can't even see the light of day financially, that's not, even, that's not even a question. You say, well, you know what? We're, we're opening it up. We want people. We're going to have a meeting. When are we having a meeting? Next week or something? When is it? It's today. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's today. Uh, you don't even think about going to that meeting. Ever. Where's it going to be? In the library downstairs. You don't even think about going to the library downstairs because it's out. It's out of the question. You can't. You're, you're, you're so tied up. You're so financially in debt. You can't, you can't think about taking time off. Maybe God wants you to go. Maybe God in Guatemala has an experience that will be life-changing for you and for them as we begin our ministry down there. But you can't do it. You know, be free. We need to free ourselves up to listen to God speaking. We need to know what it feels to be financially secure. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says this, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. In other words, there's extra, lots and lots of extra. But a foolish man devours all he has. We live in a culture that devours what we have, and then after what we have, we start borrowing stuff and devouring that. Our culture wants to bury deep inside of you this insatiable desire for more, more, more. We need to be a people who find peace. You know, I devoured it all when I was making 30000 I devoured it all when I was making 60000 We're now making over 100000 and we're no better off. 
We're still devouring, devouring, devouring like we did when we were making 30000 We are lost when it comes to finances. You may be smart. You may be competent. But you may be lost. Also, last thing, I, I, I want us to learn to be content. Uh, if there was a magic button up here, what's this store? Is it, is it Staples? Where, yeah, you push the red button, right? Yeah, you know, what does it say again? That's it. And, and, you know, that was easy. Um, if we had a button that was up here uh, uh, that, you know, said contentment, and, you know, I brought it up here, and, and I, you know, if you push this, uh, the next time your neighbor gets an XYZ car, you're not, you're not going to say, oh, I, I, I have to have an XYZ car. You know, the leather seats, the moonroof, and the park itself. And, you know, you can, say, you can look at it and say, wow, that's fantastic. I don't need it. I don't need it. You know, next time you're walking through the mall and that, you know, the dress says, literally speaks. It's a, ma- a miracle. It's a dre- and the, mir- the dress says, buy me. I, am for- I was created for you. And, 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 and you could say, you know what, I might. Maybe I will, but I don't have to. I really don't have to. And, and you pull out your smartphone, and as I said, you know, you're a couple of numbers back. You say, you know what? This one's okay. This one's fine. We live in a world that is fueled by discontent through marketing. We need to be immune. We have allowed discontentment, again, we're going to talk about it next week, that infects our culture to affect us. Uh, anyway, we need to be able to enjoy what God has given us, not be driven. If you had that button, I'll bet you right now some of you wouldn't so much come up for yourself, but you'd grab your spouse and you'd make sure he or she came up and you would go, you're going to push that button right now, I'm going to do that, right? I, I, for, I get it. I, I understand. I understand. Listen, I, I really want contentment for us, so I want us to feel contentment. Look, at being financially lost is bad. That's what we're talking about these three weeks. We're going to be talking about that. But in close, let me just say this. It, since that, that affects so many areas of your life. When you're lost financially, it affects relation. It affects marriage. It affects everything. But folks, I have to tell you, when you are spiritually lost, that is nothing short of devastation. Because you can recover from financial ruin. But if you enter into eternity, if you're here this morning and you enter into eternity without having figured out the spiritual lostness that you may be in right now. Folks, i got to tell you, you have been hit by a blow. And you will realize that you've been hit by a blow from which you will never recover. That's what the Bible says. You will never recover. Recovering from the financial abyss means making some good decisions, changing your way of thinking. Recovering from the spiritual abyss, it's kind of like that. It really is. The first step is seeing that you're lost. You know what the Apostle Paul said? We go back to, you know, these verses, we overuse them. No, we don't because they're, they're magnificent. They're amazing. They're incredible. The Apostle Paul said, for all have sinned and what? Fallen short of God's standards, fallen short of the glory of God. He's saying we are all lost. Then he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, if you believe in the gospel, you can be found. Jack Miller used to say, cheer up. You are a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. That is the gospel. The way into the kingdom, Augustine said, is low. It involves an understanding of the all-pervasive nature of our sin and our inability to choose the right path. See, we don't think we're lost a lot of times, and we're going about our merry way, self-assured, confident, but all of a sudden we look back and we say, where am I? 
That's first. Then it's believing that God has provided a GPS that will never, ever fail. That GPS has a name. It is Jesus Christ. And he leads us to the Father. Frankly, i got to tell you this. Most people don't even realize how lost they are. They don't realize it because sin, by its very nature, blinds people to the fact that they are lost. Acknowledge your lostness. Trust Christ. If you are lost and don't know how to get back, follow Jesus Christ on the path to heaven today. You need to do that. We want to be worshipers. We want to follow the one who gave everything for us. We want to be able to sing with full-throated enthusiasm, Hosanna, as a course of our life, not just in church, but we won't be able to do that until we figure out this part of our life because you can't wholeheartedly follow Jesus Christ and remain lost financially.